You've probably heard the phrase that Christians are a people of the book. Faithful Christians are referred to as Bible-believing Christians. Christian missionaries uh, have been imprisoned, tortured, and martyred for translating this book into languages that people can understand and read. Or they've received the same kinds of persecutions for smuggling Bibles into countries where uh, these things are forbidden. Why is that? What is it about the Bible that is so special and so important to our faith? Why is the Bible so central? Why have these pages been so carefully guarded and preserved and distributed for so many thousands of years? In combination with the printing press, literacy in the early modern Western world can largely be attributed to Bible reading and translation. Luther's German Bible had an enormous impact on the German language, uh, the development of that language and the unifying of all the different uh, uh, dialects of of German. The same could be said of the King James Bible. Uh, It had an enormous impact on the English language. Uh, Many parents in the early American colonies taught their children to read first and foremost so that their children could read the Bible. This was the impetus for literacy in our country. Why do we spend so much time listening to the Bible, having multiple scripture lessons every Sunday, singing the Bible, uh, preaching the Bible, paying close attention to the text and studying the parts of speech and how the sentences all work together? Why do we pay so much attention to these things? What's so important about studying the Bible? Well, this morning we'll be continuing in our series on 1 Peter and considering what this passage has to teach us about the living and abiding Word of God. And there are four aspects of the Word that I want us to see from this passage this morning. And if you like outlines, here's here's my outline. Number one, the Word makes us alive. The Word makes us alive. Number two, the Word lasts forever. The Word lasts forever. Number three, the word makes us love. And number four, the word makes us grow. So let's start with that first point. The word makes us alive. Peter says in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, or born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Through the Word, we've been made alive. We've been born anew, and we've been cleansed, purified from sin. You could say that we are creatures of the Word. We are creatures of the Word. Just as God made the world In six days, by the word of his power, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. So Peter tells us, you have been born anew. There's a new creation that has come about through God's word, through God's spoken word. 
You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And specifically, he says, the word of God that makes you alive and that makes you new is the preaching of the gospel. Look at that in verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And he defines what he means by the word of God in this uh, specific section. God has chosen the preaching of his word as the means to bring about new creation in the world. You'll remember that uh, we looked earlier uh, a few weeks ago at the beginning of chapter one, and, and Peter already spoke about us being made alive, being made anew, being born again. And he says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, the, the resurrection, the historical event of Jesus being raised from the dead, that was the grounds, that Peter says, by which we have all been born again here and now to a living hope. Okay, but Peter's saying here that it's the preaching of the good news. It's through the preaching of the gospel that you have been born again, through the living and abiding word. Which is it, Peter? Is it the resurrection of Jesus, or is it the preaching of the gospel? The answer, of course, is yes, it is both. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, a new world has been opened up, a new world has begun. He is the firstborn of a new creation. And through his atoning sacrifice on the cross and his victory uh, rising from the grave in victory, Jesus has opened a new and living way to restore fellowship with God and with one another and to restore all of creation, to make all things new. And this historical event is the basis upon which sinners like you and I can be made new. This is the good news. This is the announcement uh, that has come through the preaching of the apostles, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, all things are being made new. And God promised to work, he promises here to work in a powerful way through that announcement, through the preaching of this announcement, the, procl the proclamation of the gospel. When the gospel is proclaimed and obeyed, there is a new creation. People who were dead in their sins and trespasses are made alive to God with new hearts. Peter puts this another way in verse 22. He uses the terms purified souls or pure hearts. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, this sounds strange to us. What's he saying here? I've purified myself through my obedience. Uh, is he talking about us uh, keeping the law and you know, growing uh, more righteous day after day and putting off sin, and that's how I've purified myself is through uh, this keeping of the law or putting away of sin? Or does he mean something else by obedience to the truth? Through this obedience to the truth, we've been purified. Uh, if we are purified by this obedience to the truth, what, what does that obedience entail? Notice that the obedience to the truth here is for something, right? It's for a sincere brotherly love. It is not the same thing as a sincere brotherly love. 
but it's a an obedience to the truth that is for a sincere brotherly love. You could say that this obedience to the truth results in love, it results in good works, that it's a con- consequential action. Uh, but what is the obedience to the truth itself? Well, obedience to the truth is faith and hope in the gospel. Okay? It's faith and hope in this announcement that has been preached to them, to us. Uh, it's not love toward your neighbor. Here's why. He's saying, having purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, he's talking about their conversion. When they put their faith and hope in the announcement of the good news of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, the apostles came to this area, to Pontius, to all these uh, areas that he's writing to here, this general letter, letter here. They came out there proclaiming and preaching the good news. And these Christians responded to that announcement, right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus has risen victori- victoriously over sin and death. Okay, how do you, what does it mean to respond to that? Well, Peter's saying it means you obeyed the truth. You obeyed the call. You responded to the call by putting your faith in Christ and looking ahead to the hope that is to be revealed. Look here at what Peter said immediately prior to this verse. He says that Christ was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That your believers in God, your faith and hope are in God. And then he says, having purified yourself by your obedience to the truth. These are all talking about the same reality. Later in chapter four of this book, Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay, you have this concept of obeying the gospel, obeying this news, this good news. How do you obey good news? Well, you obey it by believing it, by taking heed, saying this is truth, and I'm going to conform all of reality, all of my reality, all of my life to this message. The truth that we obey here is the truth of the gospel, the word preached to us. And in that way, we are purified, we're made clean, And it's through faith and hope in the word of truth. Okay, here's just a few more verses to drive this home if you're not yet convinced. Peter says in Acts 15, he's at the Jerusalem council speaking to his brothers there, talking about the Gentiles. And he says, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Okay, they got the Holy Spirit just like we did. And he made no distinction between us Jews and these Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter says, you're made clean, you're cleansed by faith. Faith, belief in the gospel, cleanses, it purifies. John in 1 John 3 says, everyone who thus hopes in him, hopes in Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, faith in the gospel purifies and cleanses. Hope in Christ purifies and cleanses us. Paul, in Romans 10, says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so there you have it most clearly. Obeying the gospel means believing the word, believing the announcement that has come to us uh, through the work of Christ and through the preaching of the apostles. The word that is preached, purifying and cleansing come through faith and hope in the gospel. You obeyed the truth and now you've been cleansed, you've been purified. Uh, We were made alive, Peter says, by the word of God and were purified by faith and hope in that word. All of our sins were washed away and we were declared holy and righteous and clean. We're made new creatures, new, a new creation in Christ. We're made alive through this preaching of the word. Okay, so the word makes us alive. The word also lasts forever. And he tells us something about the character of this word. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You are born anew of seed, Peter says. A seed that is not perishable, but imperishable. A seed that can never die. The seed is the word. He goes on to quote Isaiah talking about everything else fading and falling away except for this imperishable word. The word that made you a new creation never perishes or fades away. We saw earlier in chapter 1 again uh, that Peter says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading that God has kept for us in heaven. Now we see that the word which makes us alive to that imperishable inheritance is also imperishable. It never dies. It never fails. We can count on God's word because it will never fail. You can bet everything on God's word. Uh, Though everything else is fading away like the grass, like flowers that are glorious for a time and then fall away, Uh, the world that's marred by sin and darkness, God is making a new world that will never fade through his word. And we have been made alive to this new world through his living and abiding word. So the word is imperishable because it is God's word. It is an extension of himself. And thus it can never be wrong. It can never fade away because God can never fade away. Hebrews 6, 18 says that it is impossible for God to lie. And he's making the point that therefore you can trust his promises. You can trust what he has to say to you. Because it is God's word, this word has the character of God himself. We cannot count on anything else in the same way that we can count on God's word. This is the only sure and true thing in this life. We heard from 2 Timothy 3 uh, that Paul says that all scripture, all 
whole scripture is breathed out by God. These are his very words to his people given for the building up of the body. Life is full of all kinds of uncertainties. Kingdoms and nations rise and fall. Businesses, jobs and wealth come and go. People let us down. Promises are broken. But the truth of the gospel is the one thing that we can put all of our hope in. We can bank everything on this word. Uh, the The word of God is the one thing that can never fail us. God is always true to his word. He's always true to his word. And we must hold fast to this hope. So we also see that the word makes us love one another. The word makes us alive. The word lasts forever. And it makes us to love one another. The imperishable word, which cleanses us and makes us alive, causes you and I to love one another. While we said obedience to the truth, obeying the gospel, having faith and hope in this announcement in Christ is not the same thing as loving one another. We see that faith and hope in the gospel results in a sincere love for the brethren. He says this in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Our souls and our hearts have been made pure. Therefore, we need to love one another earnestly. This is parallel to what Peter had said in in verse 13 just prior. Because your hope is set on the grace that is to be revealed, therefore, be holy. Because God has called you, he's made you holy, he's made you clean, be holy, be who you are. Uh, Now here he's using the same uh, rhetorical effect. Because your faith and hope are in the good news and you've been purified, love one another in a pure and undefiled way. Now that you have a pure heart, love one another from a pure heart. Being holy means loving one another. Because you've been born anew into a new family, you need to love your new brothers and sisters who also share in this new life with you. They were born again. We're like infants who are born into a new family. And we have siblings now who are born again with us. We are made siblings by the word together. We've been fathered by the word and now have a bond, a new relationship with one another through the word. We've been made a family by the word and now we need to act like we are a family. We've been given pure hearts, so we need to love one another in a way that is pure or sincere, he says. That is, it's not phony. We're not putting on that we really love one another. We love one another from a sincere and pure heart without hypocrisy. Don't just say that you love one another. Act like it. Show each other that you love one another. And we're to do so fervently, earnestly, strenuously, without letting up. Peter goes on to say in chapter 4, above all, okay, he's given this long list of things that the Christians need to do. And he says, above all, keep loving one another. This is vital. It's a crucial aspect of what it means to be the people of the word, the, pe- the redeemed people of God. Okay, we know that the fall severed our relationship with God, but it also brought enmity 
between one another, between humanity. The fall brought about a hostility between husband and wife, between brothers. We see Cain and Abel immediately uh, displaying this this enmity, hostility, uh, between people, groups, and nations. The imperishable word of God restores humanity's divisions. It enables us to love one another, brings back that relationship that we had prior to the fall, to become a people who are marked by our love for one another. So it doesn't, the gospel, believing the gospel, having faith and hope in the good news, uh, doesn't just bring back our relationship with God. It doesn't just make us right with God. It makes true fellowship and true community in the church possible. The gospel makes that possible for us to have with one another. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, do you know how the the world will know that the Father sent the Son? How will the world know that the Father sent the Son? He says they'll know by their love for one another, the love and unity that believers have in the church. That is how the world knows that the Father sent the Son. It is through our love for one another that the watching world witnesses the restoring power of the gospel. They see redeemed humanity being lived out, however imperfectly. They see true fellowship being lived out by those who have pure hearts who are able to love one another sincerely. Above all, keep loving one another. Okay, so how do we love one another? Well, Pastor Rich has spent the last couple of sermons talking about this. So if you haven't heard those sermons, go back and listen to them, uh, specifically on 1 Corinthians 13 and the specifics of what love looks like, Ephesians 4, what kindness looks like. So I won't go into detail on those specifics here again this morning, but I will just reiterate that love is defined by God's Word. It's not just some generic kind of hippie, love that we all have for one another. It's love defined by God's word. Love as God has revealed it to us. The word teaches us what sincere and earnest brotherly love looks like. We love according to the word, not according to however we're feeling today or what the world defines as love. We love according to God's word. Peter, in our text, focuses specifically on what we need to put away in order to fulfill this call to love one another. He says that those who've been born anew should put away certain community-destroying behaviors. These these behaviors that disrupt our fellowship with one another. The list of sins that he gives in Uh, chapter 2 verse 1 are specifically those sins that disrupt our fellowship and our love for one another. They're antithetical to a sincere love for each other. He says here in verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Because you've been born anew, God has made you all new through his word that remains forever, and you all have an imperishable hope that you're looking ahead to, therefore, you need to put away these things. You need to put away these things from among you that get in the way of being who you are, of being who you've been called to be. 
Notice that these sins kind of build on one another. They're somewhat interrelated. They're hard to separate from each other. Uh, Doug Wilson likes to say that sins are like grapes. They come in bunches. Okay? They, they usually are not isolated from one another. They're all kind of grouped in and uh, clustered together. So let's look at a few of these in turn here. Malice. We need to put away malice because we are creatures of the word. This describes a kind of general ill will toward others, desiring or intending harm toward your brother or sister. Okay, just having a mean spirit toward your brother or sister. It's the opposite of a pure love. Deceit, concealing or misrepresenting the truth to others, hiding things from one another, tricking one another, misrepresenting one another. Hypocrisy. Pretending to be someone you are not. Okay? In a community with high standards, this, this is a tricky one. This is a hard one. We want to live up to this standard. We want to be this certain ideal. And it's easy for us to go in and try to pretend like we are that ideal and hide our faults. Uh, this is usually driven by a fear of being seen or known. Trying to look or seem like something that you're not. And it assumes a kind of sinful competitive relationship with each other, doesn't it? Instead of a humble, cooperative relationship where we're building each other up, we're helping each other along, we're admitting our faults to one another. Envy. Being resentful of someone else's success. Okay, when somebody gets a promotion or someone has uh, some great opportunity that they've, they've gotten or they've got a new kitchen remodel. Is your first thought can't stand the person. <laughs> Being resentful that someone else has been blessed with a good gift from the Lord. Instead of rejoicing with your brothers and sisters, you despise them for it and wish that they didn't have that good gift. Slander. Making false or damaging statements about someone. This usually comes out of envy and malice. Uh, tearing down our brothers and sisters out of envy or spite or malice. Love one another sincerely, Peter says. Don't try to compete with one another. Tear one another down. Seek the mutual upbuilding of the body. Hey, we are all sinners. We are all sinners who have been purified and washed clean by trusting in the word of the gospel. We, have all, we are all headed for the same imperishable hope with one another. A hope of life everlasting with God, but with God together, with, as the redeemed people of God. Let us therefore sincerely love and care for one another in light of these realities. We are the future family of God on display to the world. We need to live in light of who we truly are. So the word causes us to love one another. Lastly, the word makes us grow. We see that the word makes us grow. It is our life source. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants, long crave for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're commanded to long for the word. Okay, that's the spiritual milk. It's the word. It's the preaching of the word. It's the written word. 
or to long for this pure spiritual milk because it is our life source. Peter's keeping up his analogy of new birth and refers to us and these Christians here as infants, uh, compares Christians to newborn infants. And he's not saying these are baby Christians or are new Christians. He's saying we're all like infants, or we need to be. We need to be like infants who are longing for milk. Okay, the way that an infant longs for milk, constantly needing to be fed, cannot be uh, consoled until that baby gets some milk. That's how we need to be with the words. He's saying all Christians should long for the word the way that newborns crave milk. Those who have been born anew should long for the word like a newborn baby. We're fed and sustained by the word, right? That analogy assumes that this is some kind of food for us. We read in the gospel lesson that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They were not only born anew by the word, we're not only creatures of the word spoken into existence by this proclamation of the gospel, but we continue on and we grow up into our salvation through the word. The word is the means of life for the Christian from the beginning to the end. We start by the word, we continue by the word, and we finish by the word. Just as you need food to sustain your body, so Peter's saying we who have been born anew need the word to live and grow as a Christian. This is not optional. The word is not optional. There's no way to grow and survive as a Christian without drinking deeply from the word. Notice that salvation is something that we grow up into. It's something we grow into. We've been made alive already, right? We've been made alive. We're being guarded by faith through God's power for a salvation that is ready to be revealed, what Peter says in the beginning of chapter one. So there's a future aspect of our salvation. We're Uh, We've been saved from sin, we're being saved from sin, and we will be ultimately saved uh, from sin and death. Salvation is a process, and the spiritual food of the Word is essential to that process. So how does this growth express itself? Well, we just saw it expresses itself in putting off those community-destroying sins more and more, and putting on love, putting on sincere love toward one another. We grow into our new identity in Christ through drinking deeply of the word and obeying it. We're commanded to long for it, to crave it. We heard similar language in our Old Testament lesson, Psalm 119, just a couple of verses here. He says, my soul is consumed for your rules. That's another word for God's law, God's word. My soul is consumed for your rules. I long for your precepts. Is that true of us? Do we long to grow in our understanding and our commitment to God's word? We want to be like the the man in Psalm 1, the blessed man who meditates on God's law day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. He's drinking deeply from the source and growing into a tree that is able to bear fruit. That's what we want to be like, meditating on God's law day and night. So here are a few practical ways to obey this command that we're given to long for pure spiritual milk. Firstly, receive the preached word. Receive the preached word every Sunday. Come to church and receive the word. Remember the context here 
in 1 Peter is the preaching of the word. It's not the reading of the word primarily. The preaching is one of the primary means that God has given for building up and nourishing his church. Throughout most of church history, the average church member did not have access to a personal copy of the scriptures. Daily quiet times in terms of having your own Bible and studying it, taking notes, that's a relatively recent uh, benefit. Uh, Most Christians throughout church history didn't have access to a personal copy of the scriptures. They drank the word in the reading of the scriptures on Sunday with the gathered church and in the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word is the fundamental place where we are nourished as the body. Peter goes on to say in chapter 4 when talking about gifts in the church that the preacher in the church is to preach as one preaching the oracles of God. Preaching the very oracles of God. The preacher is not infallible, of course, like the word is, but his preaching when it is aligned with the scriptures is the word of God to the people of God. And the preacher's preaching is God's word to you. Uh, This means that God has uh, given to nourish his church happens through the preaching of the word on Sunday. So receive the preached word as from the Lord. When you come to church, remember that what you're hearing in the sermon is God's word for you this week. This is God's word to you uh, to build you up, to encourage you, uh, to strengthen you, to be who he's called you to be. Uh, This is what the Lord has decided, has appointed for you to hear this week through his appointed ministers and ask the Lord to help you apply the word. Talk about the sermon with your family. This is the means that God has given to grow you up into salvation. Secondly, apply the word at home. Fathers, husbands, teach your families. Just as as it is the duty of a father to provide for and protect his family, so God has given fathers the duty of providing spiritually for the family through God's appointed means. So husbands and fathers, teach the word to your family. Read the word aloud to your family. Explain the Bible to your wife and kids. Apply it to their lives. Deal with the challenges and the concerns that are going on in your household and teach from the scriptures. If you're seeing behavior issues in the children, use the word to apply it to the situation. Uh, Teach from the scriptures. Answer issues and questions that your teenagers are facing from the scriptures. The word needs to be central to our homes, to our lives, to the way that we think about all of reality. Speak the word into every situation. Frame everything in your life in light of the living and abiding word that remains forever. Mothers, you also teach your children the word. Moms with children at home have plenty of opportunities to be speaking the word into your children's lives. Proverbs gives us countless examples of a godly son holding fast to his mother's teaching. Listen to just a couple here. Proverbs 1 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. This is Proverbs 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. 
Okay, this is describing a household where mothers are teaching their kids constantly the Word of God. In every situation, as you're going about doing things, apply the Word, remember the Word, and teach it to your children. Children, receive the Word from your parents and teachers. Honor your father and mother by listening to the Word and obeying it. Do not despise it when your parents remind you of Scripture. Uh, They are standing on the most sure and stable foundation, the living and abiding word that remains forever. They are feeding you with a word that never returns empty or void. Singles, devote yourself to the word. Encourage your friends in the word. Read and apply the word together in community with other Christians. Thirdly, read and listen to the word at home. We've been talking about Receiving the word and the preaching on Sunday, applying it to your families, uh, all of this assumes that you'll be diligent in studying the word yourself. I said that most Christians didn't have access to a personal copy of the Bible. That's not been the norm for, the, for most of church history. But we of all people have zero excuse for biblical illiteracy. Okay, we have multiple Bibles lying around our house. We have audio apps. When you're driving the car, you can be listening to scripture Uh, We, more than anyone, should be the most biblically literate people uh, in history. Unfortunately, that's not the case, even though we have all these resources. We have so many opportunities to drink deeply of the Word. Take advantage of these blessings. Know your Bibles better than you know anything else. This is an imperishable Word that will never fade. This is a firm foundation for all of life. This is spiritual food that grows you up into salvation. Psalm 119 says, I will not forget your word, and I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a case for Bible memorization. We need to be memorizing the Bible, hiding it in our hearts so we can take it with us uh, throughout the day. We, the people of the word, should be Bible-saturated people. That's singing the word to each other, reading the word together, and hearing the word together. Okay, lastly here, how do we develop a craving for the word? Notice that Peter connects the longing for the word with tasting. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, but by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Drinking deeply from the word isn't just about getting more information. We're not just trying to get more information in our heads. Uh, This is about tasting of and communing with the living God. God communicates his presence and his promises through the word. Tasting of the word is tasting of the Lord himself. Spending time in the word is spending time with the Lord. Spending time in the word uh, results in an experience of God's goodness. We receive his promises We learn his statutes that we might obey them, and we experience his goodness. The word transforms us in the reading and applying of it. It delivers us from the paths of death to walk in heavenly ways. When we get a taste of the Lord's goodness in his word, it drives us back again and again to seek more. We should seek his face always in the place where he's promised to be found. So in closing, God in his rich mercy, has made himself known to us through the preaching of the word. 
He's made us alive. He's cleansed us through faith and hope in the gospel. The glorious announcement that Jesus has dealt with our sin and death decisively in his death and resurrection and ascension. God's word to us is a sure and trustworthy word that will never fade or fail. He makes us into people who are restored to one another in love. He grows us up into salvation through the spiritual milk of the word. And this is why Christians are to be people of the word. This is why the living and acting word, active word, ought to be central to all of our lives. As we come to this table this morning, let us indeed taste of the Lord's goodness that he has promised to us through his living and active word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.